Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, October 6th. We begin with a conversation surrounding the implementation of a provincial sales tax in Alberta. Could a PST be the solution to Alberta's fiscal roller coaster? We discuss with Bob Aska from the Parkland Institute, University of Alberta. Next, we look at the importance of using photos and videos to promote your business online and attract more customers. We get some tips from Ellen Parker, CEO and owner of Parker PR. And finally, Thanksgiving is a time of coming together with family and friends, and for many, a time to overindulge in our favorite seasonal foods. So, how do we keep our fitness and nutrition on track during the fall months? We get some advice from fitness and nutrition coach Justin Slim. We don't like to talk about it, but should Alberta consider a provincial sales tax? And what impact would a PST have in getting Alberta off that fiscal roller coaster we've been riding for so many years? With insight, we're joined this morning by Bob Ascott, Research Fellow at the Parkland Institute, University of Alberta. Hi, Bob. Thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning, Sue. Thanks for having me on. Ooh, you know, this uh, gets people all... <laughs> the, your, the hair on the back of your neck goes up when people say a, a provincial sales tax in Alberta. Why, again, is this sort of rearing its ugly head? Well, it's it's rearing its ugly head because the fiscal roller coaster won't go away. We we uh, have uh, last year, uh, uh, I think it was $18 billion deficit forecast, turns into nearly a $4 billion surplus. So, you know, and this is all almost due to um, changing oil prices. I mean, the problem of a sales tax is... The politics of it, not the economics. Mm-hmm. It's sound financial logic. What about spending less as a government instead of adding an additional tax? Just to play devil's advocate, there, Paul. Oh yeah, yeah, no, and and I mean the book that we've written uh, uh, deals with that, and and I think that the the wisest thing, the wisest course for a government to do is to have a, a fiscal sustainability commission to look at this uh, in depth and look at the merits and the demerits of the sales tax. We have, you know, the, the surging oil prices right now, which is really helping our province. But yes, we know that doesn't stick around forever. We also know that later today we will have a new premier. So does the PST even become a conversation, do you think? I don't know. I don't think anyone dares to, to, to even discuss it. Well, that that's right, Sue. I, I think politicians do not want to touch it because Albertans have been advantaged for so long uh, because of uh, oil prices, uh, but but it's caused uh, a whipsaw effect in in public services, and uh, and the book talks about a fiscal dilemma, which is Albertans like to uh, love their public services, and and seem to want more of them, but they don't want to pay for it, and because we have these uh, enormous bitumen uh, royalties now. Uh, people assume that they that they're paying for it, but you know historically they've only been paying, um, you know, fifty to ninety-five percent of of the full cost of public services because of of the the volatile resource revenues. Now, to go to go back to the earlier question, I I think our fiscal review has to look at both the the expenditure side. I think that is a natural concern, and it's a good concern of Albertans that governments should be delivering services and they get value for money. But that also means, as Travis Taves has said, a revenue review where everything, including a PST, is on the table. You know, because it's just in a discussion, do we know what we'd set a PST percentage point at to to have some success, Bob? 
Yeah, one billion dollars. <laughs> oh. So, so yeah. So the column that uh, is referred to in the article by Daniel Smith was was published in the Edmonton Journal in September 2020. Now things were pretty grim at that time, but you know she talked about eliminating the Heritage Fund, and then she uh, she talked very specifically about a um, a GST that would bring in. Uh, $5 billion a year, and for each uh, point, it's roughly a billion dollars. Oh, I just, it's, it, it makes me, you know, kind of snicker when I hear any discussion of it because it comes up every year, every two years. So, but, but politicians, every time someone gets into power, even though there might be talk leading up to it, just say, nope, I'm not going to do it because it really is that political suicide tax, isn't it, though? Well, I think I think politicians believe that. I'm not so sure that uh, members of the public uh, quite agree. Some recent surveys show that um, you know that there is uh, some support for the idea of a sales tax. You know, but you know, five percent is probably a little too rich and. You know, you could look at three or, or or less percent, but you know, Alberta by far enjoys the, the greatest tax advantage in the country. So, if if Albertans were taxed at levels of Ontario, um, we would bring in almost another fifteen billion dollars, fifteen billion, and most of that is due to the fact we don't have a sales tax. Um, but. But let, let me just add that, you know, historically, um, Albertans have been um, allergic, shall we say, to, to sales tax. And even though the social credit government introduced the 2% sales tax in uh, 1936 uh, on recommendations of a, a taxation commission, they backed away very, very quickly. Um, and and there there is what we call an exceptionalism in Alberta, where people um, believe that you know the opportunities are unlimited somehow out here, which is a good thing. But that uh, they they get roads and telephone services and all that almost for free. I mean it. And that was one of the reasons they defaulted in 1936 during the 20s. When the UFA was in power, they had an opportunity to raise taxes, but they didn't, you know, when, when times were good. And, and this, you know, from an academic perspective, and, and I realize um, there aren't that many economists that vote in provincial elections, but it, 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 is, it is a burning issue. Um, and, and, I mean, the part of the book is to... Uh, encourage a conversation, some education of the public about really the perilous roller coaster journey that we do uh, every generation on our on our um, public services and and on the citizens of Alberta. Um, one, let, I'm sorry for rambling, but one other thing that I could could say too is that we we have this whipsaw effect. So the, the private sector, when oil prices are down, um, are, are um, on their back, and and uh, the public services are seen as fat and so on, and then it reverses that, you know, the the private sector is paying up these salaries because oil prices are high, and then public services 
you know, or, or kind of stable or, or get forgotten. So um, I'm, I'm sorry I went on for, oh, no. for so long. We appreciate it. Thanks uh, for your insight and thanks for your time. The conversation that keeps coming back here in our province. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. Bob Aska, Research Fellow, the Parkland Institute, University of Alberta. How do you make your business thrive and, as an employer, keep your customers engaged and coming back for more? For some help, we check in with Ellen Parker, CEO and owner of Parker PR. Good morning to you, Ellen. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us once again. And this time out, we're talking about using video to share your story on your website and on social media. So uh, here's the bottom line. We have info we want to get out there, but when it comes to the visual, why are photos and videos so important? Yeah, great question. So stories engage people by making a topic relatable. So if we think of the expression, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words, well, a video is worth at least a million words. So we're actually saving a lot of time and money if we create good photos and good stories and video to share to our audiences. Incorporating video on your website and your social media channels helps create that emotional connection that we want our audience to have to our brand. It invites people to engage with us and ultimately support us, which is what we all want. Absolutely. Yeah, and a great story told through video can communicate your entire brand in just a few minutes. So it can actually save a lot of time and money to create a compelling video to showcase what you're all about. Um, Research right now is actually showing that consumers perceive the same type of personality characteristics in brands as they do in people. So make sure we know what we want people to associate with our brands and then create content that highlights that. And it allows us also to come across as genuine and authentic in a totally different way than just via text. I love that. Okay, so give us a, a couple of hints then where we've got the, the why behind our video. Now we, we want to make it and put it out there. What do we need to think about? Yes, absolutely. So we want to identify the purpose of the video. You know, are we promoting a new product? Are we having a restaurant opening? What is the purpose? We want to stay authentic to our branding in the video. So if you have people in the video, wear the right brand colors. Use your logo watermark in the video. This is also great to protect your intellectual property. And then build a video storytelling around emotion. We want people to feel something and learn something, whether it's make them happy, make them feel excited. We want to evoke emotion, create stories that have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and plan ahead. So map out what you want to say at the beginning, the middle, and end for the right purpose in a controlled environment. You know, outside is great, but there's noise, there's traffic, there's light. Keep it simple in a controlled environment and keep it short and snappy. Hold your viewers' attention with short video clips. Yeah, that's it. I was going to ask you about that one, Ellen, because people have very short attention spans. We are super Mm -hmm. tight for time, uh, but once again, the videos and, of course, the images, having a second set of eyes on them, how important is that? Absolutely. Always have someone view what you're doing. You know, do a little research on TikTok, see what's trending. That can really help you with your social media. Mm -hmm. And do your video in vertical format because that will apply to all of your channels and your website. Always appreciate your tips. Thanks, Ellen, so much. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Ellen Parker, CEO and owner of Parker PR and the website parkerpr.ca. 
Don't fall back into your bad habits this fall. With some advice on how to keep those summer gains, making healthy choices over the holiday season, including the upcoming Thanksgiving long weekend that we're about to experience. Let's talk about it. We're joined by fitness and nutrition coach Justin Slim for some help. Hi, Justin. Good morning, Sue. Hi, Andy. Thank you so much for being with us. We love chatting with you. You've always got the right answers that we need. Uh, We've been up. We've been active in the summertime. How do we keep building on those healthy habits as things cool down? We spend more time indoors, and we want to eat pumpkin pie. Justin, help. Uh, You know what? Pumpkin pie is absolutely one of my favorites. So uh, I understand how that happens, and, and that's absolutely fine. I think from a nutrition standpoint, let's start there. As we're approaching the long weekend, Thanksgiving, everything like that, I just want to remind people that, You know, sometimes we just have to enjoy that piece of pumpkin pie sometimes. There's lots going on. The headlines are kind of, you know, busy with the kids in sports, news, inflation. People are getting a little stressed out. So first off, I would say there, just enjoy your time with your family first and foremost. But there's a couple of things that you can do, you know, on your plate to make it a little bit easier for you. For example, sticking with more white meat, kind of loading up on more protein if you're taking in the turkey. You know, when you're making those casseroles as well, maybe look at just, you know, green beans in in a pan, right? So that might be a good option as well, sticking to some veg. But that doesn't mean don't have the pumpkin pie. I hate to label food good or bad. It's always in my mind, it's either growing food, which is the stuff that's going to nourish us, make us stronger, make us perform better. And then there's fun food. Fun food is the stuff like the pumpkin pie and the gravy and things like that. I feel like, yeah, chocolate, exactly. I feel like there's a place for both, a time and a place for both. As long as we lean more towards the growing food a majority of the time, I think that we'll win at the end of the day. And Justin, something Sue and I have talked about off mic quite a bit is the fact that when you want to start kind of maybe a clean path, you know, or you want to turn over a new leaf. There's always, if you look at the calendar, whether it's Thanksgiving or Easter or Christmas or Halloween or those summer barbecues, there's always an excuse to say, well, I'll start after this or after that. Is there a good time to to start on a new fitness path? Oh, my goodness. No, absolutely not. Your body does not know what day on the calendar it is, whether it's October 1st, whether it's January 1st, whether it's December, whatever, your body does not know. So the right time to start is now, is now. And and I think that a lot of people try to almost look at all the details and the data and there's lots of science out there. What is more important is action, right? And so finding that why, your deep-rooted why as to why you want to do this, because a lot of people I end up working with are people that feel they're in their 40s, 50s, they feel like they're stuck. They feel like they've given back to their family, their friends, their work, and they haven't given time to themselves. And at that age, they start to feel, I can't perform the way that I want to. So they just feel like they are just stuck in a space right now. So I just feel like even if it's five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, action will build on action and momentum will eventually start to get you down that path that you want to. I hear you. That's great advice. I want to ask you something that applies to me and I'm probably a half of our listeners out there or a lot of them anyway. Okay, when women hit that 50 mark, and it just feels like it's so much harder to lose weight, to stay fit, all that kind of stuff with hormones changing in your body. What can be done about that? What, how do you best kind of deal with that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. And the science tells us that diet and exercise are one of the best things to do as we age. And I just read the other day that, you know, even a ten, intense activity at 10 minutes 
is enough to basically boost those hormones and optimize those hormones. Now, that's not to say that women in perimenopause or postmenopausal situation may have to consider certain other options as well, like bioidentical hormones and, and down that path. And that's at least a conversation to have with your doctor if it's at that point where you're noticing brain fog, you know, the hot flashes when we're sleeping, mood changes. All of that can really impact getting on a fitness and a nutrition journey. So we can eat all you know, the good stuff, the growing food at the end of the day, we can work out until we're blue in the face, but we're just not seeing the progress that we want to. So at least having that conversation with your doctor, at least getting a baseline, you may even talk about getting, you know, some lab work done just to see where am I at now? What do I need to address? Because hormones do play a big part of the part in this too. Yeah. I want to kick the can further down the uh, taking action road, Justin, in that, mm. you know, I can go and uh, you know, drive up to Joe's gym tomorrow and I can get a membership and maybe get a fancy towel or a gym bag with my mm-hmm. purchase. How do I make sure that I get there consistently? Because, you know, we have busy days. You're tired. You might be feeling a little off. Is there a trick to have those consistent two or three or four visits a week to the gym? Here's what I would say. If you're in a position right now, and I know a lot of us are not because of the change in, in price, inflation is going up. But if you're in a position where you can pay for convenience, I would highly recommend it if that means paying for a personal trainer. If that means a lot of personal trainers in the city, and there are some great ones in this city that will travel to your house so you don't have to leave the kids with a babysitter. You can, For example, I have two clients. I go to their house every Tuesday, Thursday at 7 o'clock, and their two kids who are 5 and uh, 3, they do the workouts with us. They're climbing on their parents, and we incorporate them within the workout. So I would just say, number one, if you can, pay for convenience. Number two... We are so busy with meetings every single day. We schedule it in, you know, find time in my calendar, so so on and so forth. Well, why don't we schedule our fitness and nutrition time within our calendar too, right? We deserve to respect our bodies that way. And I feel that if we are committing that much to work and family life and everything, I feel that we should also schedule those, those things into your calendar, make reminders. There's a lot of ways that you can commit to that. And if you just can't, if that's absolutely not possible, here's what I would recommend. If you can purchase a resistance band, and a set of dumbbells. Put them beside your bed so that when you wake up in the morning, commit to a 10-minute workout upon waking, you'll start to build on that momentum that we spoke about earlier. I love talking about, you know, a 10-minute workout because mm-hmm. sometimes I think we just give up because I don't have 30 minutes or I don't have an hour. If you've got five or 10 minutes here and there, it, it adds up over time, right? Oh, 100%. And, and if you are just committing to a 10-minute strength or resistance training workout, focus on the larger muscle groups, okay? So this is what we call compound movements, things like lunges, things like squats, things like resistance band deadlifts, things like push-ups. Those are going to garner some of the best results for you. And that's not to say that, you know, your push-up needs to be from the floor and on the toes. You can do incline push-ups where you're putting your hand on a chair, right? And you're doing incline push-ups. You can go to your knees, whatever you need to do. But once you target more muscle groups in your workout, you can get a greater bang for your buck at the end of the day. Again, if that's not possible, even a 10-minute walk around the block, if you can commit to that once or twice per day, at least that's a place to start. And eventually down the road, then we can get you to that strength training uh, part. Um, and I don't want to you know, put a damper on uh, people's plans. I know we're talking in this but focus. But you're about to. But I am. <laughs> this focus is, of course, staying on track after summer. But when we talk about the summer bod for 2023, it may seem out of reach as it's eight months away, uh, summer 2023. There's the downer part. Uh, but we probably want to start talking about it now instead of, uh, you know, May 15th. Is that mm-hmm. right? Here's what I'm going to say. 
when it comes to fitness, people expect results in two weeks, six weeks. And it's just not enough, a large enough sample size to actually see the results that you're looking for. You know, we'll invest four years into our education. We'll invest 30 years into a mortgage. We'll invest, you know, 10 years into advancing the corporate ladder. But we quit after six weeks of working out. And that's just what I want to remind people, that I've been training personally for 12 years. You know, a lot of my clients said, at the one-year mark, we're starting to see the results that they want to see. So I just remind people to be patient. It is a process. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. But you have to actually reward yourself for the small wins along the way, right? So instead of focusing on the scale or focusing on the way we look, Focus on the way we feel and reward ourselves when, oh, great, I have the extra energy to play with my kids after work today, play tag, play Lego blocks or whatever you end up doing, and just remind yourself that this is a process. We are a physiological being where it does take time to build that muscle that we're looking for. So I know it's, it's not what anybody wants to hear, but the patience is, is, is key. You're always very inspiring. Thanks for joining us, Justin. Thanks. And Andy, I just want to say I love watching your journey on fitness as well. I've been creeping your social media. Oh. You are looking strong, my friend. Isn't Keep he? it up. Wow. Hey, oh, thank yeah. you. That's high praise. It is from Thanks. Justin Slim. Thanks so much, Justin. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Justin Slim, fitness and nutrition coach. You can reach him online, justinslim.com. He's S-L-I-M-M, justinslim.com. And that's his name. It really is. It's, and it's, he's yeah. quite slim. He's he very fit. With a name like that, you have to be. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. <laughs> 